Welcome to the Oxford Business Podcast from the Oxford Business Community Network, produced by Story94 at their podcast studio here in Oxford. My name is Mike Foster, the co-owner and the founder of OBCN. Now, our podcast aims to share with you the expertise, knowledge and experience of our members covering a number of the key issues in your business. And for our episode today, our guests are Nick Hughes, the Dynamic Coach Group, uh, Jenny Gordon, the Brilliance Coach of Genuine Consulting and Ian Farrington of ProDev UK. And we're going to be talking about coaching and development. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Mike. Hello. In a usual format, as we're a networking organisation, I'm just going to ask you to uh, briefly introduce yourself. So, Nick, do you want to kick us off? I'm Nick Hughes, the Dynamic Coach Group. Um, we're a business that works with um, individuals uh, from small teams all the way up to larger businesses. Uh, we look at consulting, coaching and mentoring uh, business owners, but also providing that support in which to develop team and the team ethic and ethos. Fantastic. And Jenny? Hello, everybody. Um, I am the Brilliance Coach at Genuine Consulting, and businesses are run by people, for people, and with people. The common denominator is people, uh, and people can be tricky. Uh, so what we do is work with soft skills, so leadership development, uh, conversations, communication, all of those soft skills to help develop teams, individuals, businesses. Fantastic. And Ian? Thanks, Mike. Uh, Ian Farrington, MD of Predev UK Limited, and our focus is on uh, helping build smarter businesses and doing that primarily through coaching, training and consultancy support. In the coaching sphere, a lot of what I do tends to be focused on what I call people at the crossroads. So those who are stepping into, often up into new roles and working out how on earth do I make this work for me. And those people who are having that, um, for those of you who remember the talking heads, that once in a lifetime moment of how did I get here? and helping people work through that in a conversation. Fantastic. Well, that actually leads me really nicely into the first question, which I'll direct to you first then, is that this crossroads you talk about. Because to start with, as we're talking about coaching and development today, from your observation and experience, when do people put their hand up and say, I need some coaching or I need some personal development? It's the putting their hand up that's the interesting point, I think. Most people have that sense of things could be better. I think one of the difficulties particularly in our culture, is a tendency to think about development as somehow remedial. Mm. And actually development is also about being better. And in a very competitive market, about wanting to be the best. And so the moment really when the conversation starts begins with that recognition, I could be better. And then the second recognition is how, and you might think of training, and that's one option. You might think of mentoring, which has a very specific contextual focus, or you might be thinking more broadly about your own development. And it's at that point you're likely to start hearing, and it's funny how these things resonate, you start hearing other people talk about coaching. Mm -hmm. Just and Jenny, do you want to build on that? I think often in, in, a, in the culture in the UK, um, quite often people are referred to coaching. So absolutely, Ian, that remedial, there's a sense of it being uh, there's something wrong with you and therefore we have to fix you. Um, I believe that actually... Uh, Everybody can benefit from coaching. Um, the point is at what time, when, uh, and I think quite often when you're told that you need it or that you should have it, there's automatically a barrier there. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with where uh, Jenny was there. That's actually the culture in the UK is very much about it's a remedial um, resolution to something. If you take, and I know we refer to the US on a regular basis, Lots of coaches for lots of things, and we and you might talk about sports and analogies from time to time, and and how different people have many different coaches for different things. 
I suppose I'm starting to see some very, very small green shoots of businesses who, when they appoint someone in the part of the interview process, it is what do you think your development needs are. And they either introduce a coach or a mentor, as Peter said, um, to, um, Ian, sorry, to, to start that person on the right track, on the right journey within the business. But yeah, I would say predominantly in the UK, we are use, use it as a remedial tool mm. more than anything else. And is, have any of you got experience that, you know, that, that aspect of actually having to put your hand up and feeling that it's probably a bit of a weakness <clears throat> that it sort of stops people from, from doing that sort of, you know, cause you know, like I say, it's a competitive piece and do I really want to put my hand up in a bit in a competitive space to say, actually, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. yeah in a previous life I had to do, I, I felt I was not, I, perform as well as it could do in a role and I put my hand up and in a business which was very forward thinking in the way training and development was delivered um, but to ask for a coach or a mentor hadn't been done before and I think I was probably the catalyst for just about everybody else in the business said, well I want one I want I want one um, so it worked it worked really well for me in that short term just to get over the hump and I think people think coaching and mentoring goes on forever and ever and ever and I think the best part of it, we get short, sharp um, results quite quickly. I think uh, often I've been in a situation where um, a leader in a company has invited me in um, and said, I need you to fix them. Um, that team over there needs sorting. Uh, and they look at it's It's that, again, back to that blame culture. Is there something wrong with them? And the question I was asked is, what's your role um, in their in their being and their behaviour, and quite often um, that's quite an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think often it's that understanding. For me, I always say, to, if you're a person, then you can benefit from coaching. Um, end of. If you have a heartbeat, um, we all have tendencies. We all get in our own way, and actually, what coaching can do and mentoring can help uh, help you understand why you get in your own way, and more importantly, how to get out of it. Mm. Just, just to follow up on that, one of the questions that I've been in that similar situation, Jenny, is what happens when you step away from the business to that manager, business owner? How do they change their behaviours to become that coach or that leader uh, to ensure that whatever you work, piece of work you've done? And I think that's a killer question. But I think people see it as a, it'll resolve everything and I can continue with my behaviour. But actually, maybe you need some coaching as well on how to change. And leadership defines the culture of the organisation, doesn't it? It does. Um, so, yeah, and I always feel that leadership isn't a hat that you put on when you go to work. Um, actually, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. But I think that's actually one of the challenges in many organisations is they don't understand what leadership is. And too often what you see is, is people effectively falling into the compliance trap by which I mean they have a vision of what a leader is. And it's, it's often a projection of the best they see in their own leadership and therefore that's how a leader should be and that's how we're going to lead isn't necessarily the same way they act and in all of that you hear nothing about the needs of the organization the needs of the people and if if i they we aren't all in that consideration then actually you need to be thinking about your leadership mm. Mm. I, I certainly see personally um, leaders that avoid developing their people because they're fearful of developing their people beyond what they're able to do as a job now because if they develop them that means well will they go elsewhere or etc and I guess that leads me quite nicely into 
our question um, around, you know, we know that skills and learning is a, is a key focus part of coaching and development, but from your experiences you're seeing right now, is it really for people about their career development within their existing organization or their sector? Or, you know, are you seeing some people thinking about actually career changes? Um, yes, and both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think smart businesses recognize that uh, it's one thing to recruit talent top talent it's quite another to keep them and retain them um, it's not just about the money um, it's about the development and the opportunity to develop at work so I think smart businesses are investing much more in if they're clever um, in developing their people um, and yes people who aren't getting the right support and the right development at work might very well be looking for career change uh, so I think it's both I think that's a really important point. But people in the end leave because the relationship with their workplace isn't right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simple as. Um, I think that then pulls us back to what an organisation thinks it's doing when it commits to leadership and development and investment in skills. We tend to talk about skills and we use that word to carry an awful lot of weight and actually learning is is a process that goes from not realizing through awareness through having the proficiency to developing competence the money the payback from developing a skill comes once you're in, in that space of competence so if as an organization your commitment to skills is we'll give you a 20-minute online course don't be surprised when your employees see the distance and, and the lack of good faith in that and walk anyway mm compared with those people understand that actually the journey, and it is a journey for most of us, from realizing we could be better to being genuinely better, takes time, it takes practice, it takes support. And you don't have to look very far to see the difference in the rates of churn between those companies who invest in developing their people and those companies who give training two days a year. Mm. I think just to add to, to both, um, both the comments there, um, there's there's a stat which gets floated out every three or four years, and I've got to be honest, I haven't seen it in the COVID period or the COVID times, as we call it. But actually, people say they move, or businesses will tell you that people move for salary and bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, it tends to fall down to be number two, number three, even number four. And it's that one, it's that desire to be wanted by the business and developed, which usually ranks higher. And um, I agree. I think the businesses who've, who latch onto that and make it part of their culture of continuous, constant development not just a competency within the role, but also as a rounder person. They're the people that want to stay on and they're the people you want to employ and because they're the people who are committed to, to the business um, significantly more than the, those who are just looking for the next bonus or the next pay rise. And actually, in relation to what you're paying people for these bonuses and pay rises, working around coaching and mentoring is probably going to work out cheaper for them. And on that point, do you see that at all levels of organisation? So like from the leadership team, senior management, junior staff... Yes, yeah, so um, different different things for different people. So lots more mentoring at, at a lower level, more coaching, um, and then in somewhere in between, a bit a bit of both, a bit of a hybrid. But I think people get lost at the lower end of the scale, and then they get something when they think they want to be ready for the next role, and they get lost in middle management, and then it, well, they want the bit they're ready for a bigger job. So let's give them a bit more coaching or mentoring, and and actually, as, as Jenny said, setting the culture of the business um, comes from the top. And very often you see these CEOs and MDs and larger business owners who haven't got the time for it, they say. Well, actually, you could have a better business. I think it's whether you recruit for competence or whether you recruit for potential. 
Um, and in in my business, what I'm looking for is recruiting for potential, um, because actually um, that's where the gap is. Um, and quite often people are stuck. They might be really, really good at a, a technical skill that they're doing. We then make the same mistake. I'm so fed up of this. Um, where they're then promoted into a management position um, because they're good at the technical skill that they're doing. They're given no support, no development, no nothing. Um, and that we're basically setting them up to fail. So we then either blame them because they're not as good or as competent as they should be. Um, and then and then we wonder why they leave and go somewhere else. And actually, it's the complete lack of development and understanding that at different points in your career, you need different types of mm -hmm. training, different types of development um, and different lengths. So sometimes short and sweet is great. Sometimes actually you do need ongoing long-term investment. Yeah, and just, just to add to that, it's, we work a lot with commercial teams as, as a company. And one of the things we, we say, and it, it, it makes me laugh, the best salesperson always gets promoted up to be the sales director. And they've got no skill set yeah. of how to be a director, how to be a manager. And actually, they wonder why these people are failing and the business is going backwards six, nine, 12 months in. Two, two points I want to pick up on that. Uh, and again, it's really just adding to that conversation, but back to where you started about remedial work. Um, if all your life you have been the chief X, and nobody in the company does that better than you, that's great. But of course, in your own head, that makes you quite good. When you suddenly have to stare over the edge of the cliff at a whole bunch of these weird things called soft skills, which shows English has a natural sense of irony because there's nothing soft about them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have them 10, 15 years into a career and suddenly you're expected to deploy them to effect with a whole bunch of people you don't really know, possibly not even at the same location anymore, we can't be surprised that people suddenly find themselves having remedial conversations with HR. The second point I wanted to pick up on, and, and you mentioned it earlier, Mike, is this question of the great resignation. I think there's a lot of complexity to what's going on in that space, but what we do see happening right now is the whole conversation about working hybrid. And there's lots of flag waving, but actually on the ground, most companies don't yet know what that really means for them. The one thing we do know is it means a different working relationship with your people. And if you've not thought about how you're going to manage that relationship and make it flourish, we will see more resignations because people at a distance will begin to feel alienated. So there's a really interesting challenge of leadership and management, I think, over the next year, 18 months in that space. Just to pick up on Ian's point there, I agree, and I'm starting to see this, where, where people are struggling with how do you manage these people remotely or hybrid. <clears throat> and it, the temptation is to go to um, a, a policy and a process route. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll create a, a process for that. And then all of a sudden it's, it becomes a policy and you're not adhering to the company policies. Well, the whole thing's been shook up in the last couple of years and it's probably the deck of cards are going to fall very differently. And I think the businesses that, that, that Ian's talking about are thinking ahead of the game and ahead of the curve, they will be the ones that see... Their businesses take off, their people take off, and their retention will probably start to diminish. Uh, and staff chairman will, will diminish over the, over the coming years as well. Because it is, it, it's, it's here to stay. To what level? I don't think any of us actually know at the moment, but it will be different. And, it, and the pandemic, certainly for all of us, hasn't it, has changed the way that we do work, this new way of working, et cetera. And I guess it's impacted the way that you work with your clients. So you know, to tell us a little bit about the changes that you know, 
business owners can sort of like think, well, actually, I used to get it when we were all in an office and a coach might come in and coach two or three of the members of the staff, etc. How, how easy is it now? What's the change look like now? Ian? Actually, can I push back on that? Because mm. I don't know that it has actually changed things yet. Okay. It's challenged how we work. It's challenged how we think about how we work. Good point. What we haven't seen is that turn into real enduring change. So actually the conversation isn't as far as people think it is. Mm. And I think that's part of the confusion because it's suddenly part of the news that, oh, here we are doing hybrid, here we are doing remote, as though we all understand what that means. I, w- I absolutely agree with you. I think it, it's definitely challenged. And even in the face of evidence, um, to the contrary, people are still, every now and then, um, are still churning out the same old stuff around you can only be innovative if you're all in the same place in the same office um you can only be productive if you come into the office um it's absolute nonsense uh, and i think uh, ian's right it's that it's challenged it's made people very uncomfortable and we talk about you know um have had lots of conversations with clients about well when we go back to normal and i was like actually normal is gone normal you can't go back to where we were because people's lives have changed fundamentally um, and the, the, you know, the Pandora's box is open. There's a whole new world out there and actually businesses who will thrive and flourish are, are, are the ones who take it seriously, who sit with their discomfort and listen, listen to their people, listen to understand rather, to, rather than to respond I'll come back to that point in, in, in a bit, but do you, do you think that's one of the areas where sort of leaders are potentially looking for more coaching at this moment in time is to understand, you know, again, I've seen a, a number of similar messages. Well, we've got to get back people back in the office so I can manage them because they feel really uncomfortable managing and coaching and developing people that are remote to themselves. Is that something you're seeing? Yeah, I, I, I just wonder whether that is their own insecurities coming out again <clears throat> and actually... They've worked in a way, as, as Ian said, you've worked in a particular manner for 15 years and all of a sudden you're having to change not just your business model, how it operates, but how you manage the people and the performance. And you know, talk about people's performance, actually there's coaching, mentoring and, and training to fit into that as well. And I don't think people have grasped it. And I think at times we are slow to change in the UK. I think there's other economies which move much quicker. Uh, much faster and more dynamic and we like to think of ourselves as being a, a dynamic culture and business uh, entity and I, I don't believe we are at times i think some sectors are better than others um but i, I do believe that uh, there's there's, there's going to be a challenge of this great resignation that, that you guys have mentioned a few minutes ago and i think i do question whether that will be driven a lot by the behaviors and the competencies of the people managing the businesses however small it is Nick, you mentioned earlier this, this idea we, we often resort to sporting analogies. Mm. And actually, I think there's a useful one here. In, in any sport, someone is becoming good at a sport. One of the things they're developing is muscle memory. What we don't necessarily realise is organisations have muscle memory too. And when you stretch a muscle, which has been happening in the last two years, and let go, oh, surprise, surprise, it tries to go back mm. to the position it was in. Sportsmen who want to go from being good to being great... I have to start changing things at every single level of what they do. That often means breaking apart the way they've been used to doing things and learning how to do something in a new, better way. That can be quite painful, can be quite scary. Again, that same kind of process is likely to start to play back into organisations. And there's a choice for leaders. Do we snap back into the old way of doing things, the old muscle memory, and watch people overtake us in the race? 
or do we take the opportunity to rethink how we want to play the game as an organisation, as a team? Fantastic. And Jenny, I, I will come back to that point you did did raise earlier because it is a, is a question I wanted to ask you because getting to know the three of you through OBCN, I, I know you're all listeners. So how important is it to listen, to respond as a coach rather than perhaps react to clients and therefore create a more effective conversation? Listening is one of those words that is banded around. Um, it Active, present listening is really hard. It's really multi-layered. It's really complex uh, and it takes a lot of practice. Um, it's what I call intentional behavior. You don't listen accidentally. Um, you listen intentionally. And um, I think that listening to understand so quite often in in lots of situations, I'm, we've all done it. I, you know, hold my hand up like everybody else. Um, you listen to respond to fix something. As humans, we're quite we're hardwired to solve, to fix, to make it better. So actually, um, whether or not somebody wants to be fixed, uh, quite often we listen to fix it for them, um, and that's that quick thing. We'll solve it. Um, listening to understand is actually that pause in between to listen to get underneath what they're sometimes what they're not saying looking at their body language looking at the words that they choose to use or choose not to use all of those things and then just sitting with it to understand what's going on inside as well as outside before responding and actually um, I think so often we leap to leap to solution much too quickly and is that something you talk to your com your clients about and making sure that they're listening more than perhaps uh, they have done in the past? Part of, um, Ian talked earlier about soft skills um, and I, I couldn't agree more. I, I always say there's nothing squishy about soft skills. They're really, um, they're hard, they're hard to learn they're, um, and they have, a, they have an absolute hard impact on the bottom line. Um, and actually, yeah, I teach listening. Um, teach presence it takes practice and quite often I think when people first experience coaching um, they come uh, and I'm sure um, we've all had it where people go hey I think coaching is about I'm here you're going to tell me what to do um, uh, and I say oh really uh, no that's absolutely not what I'm going to do um, I'm just going to ask interesting questions yeah I, I, I agree with Jenny there on the couple of points that she's made the latter one definitely there's been a few sessions where you, you you're asked to do some coaching with someone and it, it's well tell us one business no, no no that's that's not what we're here for um and it is the subtleties and it's something which um when I first became a manager director and then and then moved into this it's a skill that I have to work at the listening bit because the temptation is to jump to solu solution really quickly and actually the solution is really just part of the problem um so even I think from a coach level, a mentor level, it's a skill which continually needs to work at because unfortunately you do, we are hardwired to come up with um, with results and, and solutions pretty quickly. I think that can be frustrating as well for, for coaches, uh, sorry, for um, people who are being coached because they come out of the sessions and they go, I didn't really get out of that what I want or what I expected. And further down the line, it starts to click into place that actually coaching, this is about me bringing a problem to the table rather than you tell me how to resolve the problem. I, I think on the flip side, it can be quite funny as well. I, I've had some lovely moments with coaches <clears> over the years where you go through the process. Well, yes, of course I'm listening. Great. So what did they say? And, and there's often a much longer silence there than you might be expecting. But you get something eventually. It's great. Okay. So now, what didn't they say? 
look of panic, and then you get another extended conversation, and it's, okay, how did they seem? Because, again, we jump to this idea of listening is all about the ears, and this is much about the eyes in this space. Mm -hmm. And, again, what did they do? What did they not do? And it is a different way of thinking. And I certainly think, for me, it's, it's the key skill in coaching, because if you're not listening to understand none of the other tools and techniques that we, we use actually can come into play in the right way. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast theme today is to, to encourage more people to, to take their competence and embrace the potential that you were talking about earlier, Jenny. And Ian, you just touched on something that I resonate with quite a bit, actually, is it about this muscle memory and we have to make a change. And I call it a step change in my business. But are people fearful of change because... You know, they're fearful of taking that change into a place of uncomfort and that may change them as an individual where they feel in control. Yeah, and I think change is, is generally scary. Like comfortable comfortable places don't mean uh, pushing people out for that change uh, or into change is, is sometimes difficult. And again, we'll go back to the change that's happened in the last couple of years. People have been forced into change and then they want to retract back into um, that elastic band position but the world has changed, their market and their customers changed, their expectations have changed. So engaging with your clients, your customers and uh, and your market to understand well, what's that, what does that mean for them, I think is a, a viable and valuable piece of work for most businesses and actually being driven by what your customers need and want. Um, I think clients will find that more refreshing and more interesting than just sort of coming back to that, retract to where we were pre-COVID. Um, and how things work. I think as well, um, comfort, you know, we talk about comfort zone. So your muscle memory is about where you're comfortable. So it's it's familiar, it's it's easy. Um, and the, the step change, I, you know, I call it your stretch zone. So you want people, you want people to be slightly off balance, <laughs> slightly stretched, but not so stretched that they have leapt into their, uh, into their panic zone. Because if they're in, if they're in, if you, if you have engendered a state of, um, fight, flight, fright, and all the other Fs. Um, actually, your there's a physiological response, your cortisol response. So you can't actually access any of your brain because your your body's getting ready to either you know run or punch somebody or hide under the table. Um, so actually, the trick is keeping is keeping people in that in that stretch zone where they're. Um, slightly uncomfortable but not so uncomfortable that they're frozen into inaction so I think quite often when you ask people where they are now and where they'd like to be if you if you use a you know scale and you'll say well it might be I might be a two now and I want to be a 10 um actually the trick is to say well what takes you from a what takes you what makes you a two and what does a three look like? Because you're not worried about a 10 right now. I'm interested in taking you from a two to a three. Um, which feels much more manageable. If you're trying to leap from a two to a 10, A, you're setting yourself up to fail, um, and B, it's too big a change to cope with. Mm. I mean, Jenny's mentioned the point here that there is a physiological association here too. You know, the brain is a, is a fantastic thing. It does the most amazing things every second of every day. But actually, there's too much information out there for the brain to cope. So the only way it can cope is it builds shortcuts. And a lot of those shortcuts turn up as patterns. And the beauty of a pattern is it allows me to think faster, think in a very contextual focused way. That's great until the day that pattern doesn't work anymore. 
I then have to go through creating a new pattern because I can't help myself. I will be creating patterns. But that then costs brain effort. And so there's a physiological discomfort of all that brain chemistry suddenly has to reshift, reformat, repractice to create a new muscle memory. And so I, suddenly I found you, you often end up in an interesting conversation around what people think they think, getting them to think in a more focused way about it, and then getting them actually to observe back, that's what you think is going on. Now tell me about what you've actually done. Does that really match? Is that telling you there's something in there that's a sticking point and, and helping people unlock that? Because the brain, for all the right reasons, is trying to say, stop coming up with more work for me. Well, I've loved the conversation. I cannot believe how the time has flown and really appreciate uh, all the contributions you've made. And, you know, I think for me, it's hopefully encouraging the listeners to think about the investment they're making in coaching development. You know, I know, Ian, you, you um, offer training as well, but from a training perspective, you make the investment in training, you get the certification, and you go away with tick box, if you like. I think with coaching and development, you don't always get that immediate tick box, do you like? So I think really appreciate your contributions today, sharing your expertise, knowledge and experience. Um, just to finish off um, in the usual manner, if people want to connect with you, how do they contact you? So, Nick, how do they contact you? So, your best place to find me is either at dynamiccoachgroup.co.uk or you'll find me on LinkedIn quite easily, Nick Hughes. Brilliant. And Jenny? Um, my website, genuineconsulting.com um, and on LinkedIn too. Uh, LinkedIn's the easiest for me, really. Fantastic. Well, really appreciate, um, again, your time and contributions to, to this podcast. So that does bring us to the end of this podcast today. Thank you again for listening to the Oxford Business Podcast from the Oxford Business Community Network. We thank you to our members again for this episode. As a reminder, that's Nick Hughes of the Dynamic Coach Group, Jenny Gordon, the Brilliance Coach at Genuine Consulting, and Ian Farrington at ProDev UK. And as always, thank you to um, Story94 for producing this podcast at their wonderful podcast studio here in Oxford. And as listeners, please do subscribe to our podcast and we look forward to sharing more with you very soon.